Hello, and welcome to episode 101 of Craft, Cook, Read, Repeat, a conversation about crafting food and books. I'm Monica. And I'm Courtney. Today is Thursday, October 13th, 2022. A big thank you to all of our listeners, both old and new. We hope this podcast will continue to be something you put on repeat. How's it going, Courtney? High five for 101. (laughs) That's such a weird number. It is. Looks very strange. It looks like great. You know, consistent yeah. effort for a long time. Although I'm also, as I was working on it, I was like, oh, okay, we're back. Yeah. It's like episode one. It is. <laughs> it feels a little bit like, okay, settle down and get back to business. Yeah. So yeah, so usual business on the needles, on the easel, on the table, and on the nightstand. So on the needles. What you knitting? So many things because I had all those finished objects last time. I have all these new things. So I'm very excited. But the first one I can't tell you about. I have started and completed an entire project and I can't talk about it. I will talk about it next time because it's a gift and has to be given. So you'll hear about it next time. But I'm very excited. It was just a joy. And I finished a pair of socks. The vanilla is the new black socks by Anna Fletcher is the pattern. And this is in the white birch fiber arts in the colorway calm before the pitchforks, which is stripes <laughs> of white. And that seems like a, a seasonal name for a colorway. Yeah. And then the so it's stripes of white and stripes of... It's like red and orange and yellow and green and maybe a little bit of blue. And the, the colors aren't striped. They're variegated. So it's really cool. I'm very excited about it. I don't know how long white socks will last, but they look cool right now. And so it's very fun. And I think that's probably why I picked it. I started them maybe a month or two ago. Have I been talking about them for longer than that? I don't know. Anyway, it was good to finish them. And I enjoyed them very much. And I like that pattern. Easy to do. And I don't quite have it memorized yet, but it definitely just takes a couple of glances at the actual pattern before I remember what I'm supposed to be doing. So it's very, very easy. But I finished those. So then obviously I needed a new pair of socks on the needles. I'm not usually a Halloween person. It's not my favorite holiday. I know some people love it to pieces. I don't I don't care that much, but <laughs> there are so many Halloween yarns out lately. And the lemonade shop had this skein that came up that I just saw and was and thought I have to I have to have that. And it's not, I guess, traditionally Halloweeny, so it's a really dark magenta and then like a black and kind of neon color variegated spot. And it's it's not it's like electric candy corn. <laughs> yeah. But it doesn't it doesn't even know if it has oranges, it's lots of pinks, a little bit of green, Fun. purple. And it's not striped. The socks I'm doing are, I'm doing 60 stitches. I think maybe if I was doing 64, it would come out more striped. It's definitely kind of a multi, multi-colored variegated business. So it's pooling. So I'm getting big blobs of each of the section and it looks just really cool. I'm very excited about it. And I also got these really cute little ghost stitch markers that are kind of clear and shimmery and I'm very excited about them. And I don't know that I actually need to use them in this sock pattern, but I might just just because Sneak they're really cute. Yeah, yeah, just for fun. So I wanted a pattern since it wasn't straight stripes and it was going to come out more variegated. I wanted something that would break up the colors a little bit. So what I found was Quartzonite by Yvette Noel. I don't know why I have this pattern or how I found it, but I did. And it's a kind of lace and probably garter stitch pattern. So it'll it'll make the yarn go at an angle so that the colors will be offset a little bit, is my hope. And it also is 
in my mind anyway, it looks kind of like bat wings. Oh, the colorway is called freaking bats <laughs> is the other reason why I thought of this pattern. So we will see. I have only done the cuff. I am also, the pattern is actually toe up, which I do not prefer. So I am going to attempt to re-engineer it. Exactly. And yeah. do it cuffed down, which it's not a complicated pattern. It's not I don't think it's going to matter which way it goes. It's geometric. So we shall see. So all I've done so far is the cuff. And now I need to sit down and, and do a couple repeats of the pattern itself. And I think I might be able to use it because I, I think it's because I do it on magic loop. So I'll have 30 stitches on each needle and it's probably a 15 stitch repeat, which means I will need a stitch marker in the middle of each needle. So I will get to bring out my ghosts. Um, so I'm very excited. And I just got this yarn. And so I did want to cast it on, do some little Halloween knitting, even though I'm not a Halloween person, but I can get behind this because it's very cheery, fun That's yarn. Fun. Yeah. So I'm excited about that. And we'll see, see how it all works out. And if it doesn't, if the pattern looks wonky, then I mean, there sucks. No one is looking at my feet that closely. It'll be fine. And then I started a blanket for boy number one because he went to college and I miss him. And he has a very boring dorm room because, I mean, that was his choice. It's fine. But I wanted him to have something from home. And I know he doesn't wear a lot of sweaters and he's not here for me to, to try it on and whatever. And socks are complicated too because he has big feet. But I thought a blanket would be nice. Um, so I got some Knit Picks Bravo Worsted in the school colors. So current is the burgundy. And then Dove Heather is this really pale gray. And then it seemed... Not terribly exciting. The blanket is the Easy Stripes Blanket by Joan of Dark. The stripes go diagonally across the blanket. It makes sense. They're not, it's not rows or columns. It's diagonals. And you start off, they start off the same width and then one of the colors gets bigger. And then as you're doing the decreases, the it switches, the other color gets bigger. So I think it'll look really cool. But it was just two colors. And the school has their two main colors and then there's always, you know, your your third color. So I pulled that in, which is, it's a really pale, shiny gold. It's not like a bright yellow. So I pulled that in and got a skein of Karen Simply Soft in Bone, which, I don't know, doesn't make sense to me, but whatever, that's what it called and it looked right. And I'm doing a single stripe of that within each of the, the red and the gray colors. And I think it looks really sweet. I'm not sure if I can post a photo. I don't think he follows the Craft Cook Read Repeat Instagram account, but I don't know if it would throw over because he follows my other account, you know, so I haven't decided. He might also just not be paying attention. Very possible. Too busy studying to be on Instagram, of course. Absolutely. Mine but, too. Yeah. <laughs> but I'm very I excited. I did give Monica a gigantic <laughs> eye roll. There was some eye rolling and sarcasm in that past 10 seconds. Yeah, so I'm pretty excited about it. It's going to take a while. The plan is, it for, is for it to be a Christmas present. The rows are not taking too long yet, so I'm I'm still, you know, making feel like I'm making progress, but I, I can see where it's gonna be a bit of a slog, which I kind of knew going in. It's a blanket and it's supposed to be end up being, I think, like forty-two inches by something, so it's gonna it's it's supposed to be a pretty decent sized. And your man child is quite tall. Well, it's more of like a throw, like he can just snuggle in it. You know, like if he's cold when he's working at his computer or something, it's yeah. not meant to be a fully like covered. Cover. Like he, yeah, he has a blanket, you know, an actual I comforter hope. and stuff. So <laughs> this is more, it's more decorative and thoughtful and yeah, and a, a throw, not a, a full covering. But it gotcha. is supposed to turn up to be sport, sort of big. So we shall see. 
You Excellent. Shall see. Yeah, That's so I'm excited about project. that. And then I started a sweater too. Excellent. Very exciting. This one is going to be a thing. So this is the tea pullover, T-I-I by Hohi Locatelli. Yeah, the yarn is the Machete Shop Dirty DK in the colorway Eucalyptus, which I got at Stitches West. So I am working through this yarn. We got it at the Firebird Yarns Shop. The yarn dyer is from Pennsylvania, I think, but they carry it in the Firebird Yarn Shop. You might I'll not have, have to peek at. Maybe you got it on the first day. No, I think I got it on the last day, but I might have been shop or on Saturday. But I think I might have been shopping with Telly. Mm. Because okay. we were looking, because I knew I wanted, had just all these great yarns in that shop. And I knew I was like, oh, I want to get a DK because you can do a fairly quick sweater. So I didn't know what I was going to make with it. So it's this kind of blue and green speckly business. Very cool. More green than blue because it is eucalyptus. And then I don't know why, why I thought about this pullover, but I thought it would be fun. It is kind of a process pullover. So you knit the two sides of the sweater and then you make a bunch of I-cords and you weave the two sides together. So you have like a braid in the middle of the front and the back. And that is what is holding the sweater together. Wow. It looks very cool. It's, so, I mean, so far it's pretty fun to knit. There's cables on each edge. I think we're going to weave it through the cable somehow. I don't know. I haven't quite figured it out. Hopefully I have enough yarn. I am skirting on the edge of what I need. My theory, if it all goes sideways and I totally run out of yarn, is that I can find something that goes with it. I don't need this exact colorway. I could just do, because you you have the I-cords that you weave through, and she says you can do them in all different colors. You could do the two sides of your sweaters in different colors. It doesn't have to all be matching. So I figure I could always just get like a dark blue um, and do a one thread of it can be in that color, and that would look pretty cool as well. We'll see. I should have enough, but I don't know. We'll find out. But right now I'm about maybe two thirds of the way through the first half. And I guess I'll have to do the sleeves too. So I'll have to do finish the side, do the other side, do the sleeves, and then start weaving. But it's DK, so it's going pretty quickly. It's a pretty loose gauge. What's the neckline on? Oh, it's, is it a crew neck? Yeah, you don't really do much to the neck. It's not, not like a finish. It's a very casual looking sweater. This big chunky braid. Fun. In the middle. So I think it'll be cool. Hopefully the yarn will look because it, there's not a good way to alternate the skeins. I mean, I guess I could do it, on, but it's not. I'm hoping that the braid down the middle will, if there are differences in the skeins, which I'm thinking there are because it's hand dyed yarn, that'll break it up and you won't notice it quite so much. It's beautiful. I'm looking at a photo of it right now and it goes down the back too. It's just really. So I'm enjoying that. Yeah. And that is my knitting. It's it's just so much knitting fun, and I have a hard time deciding which project I want to be working on when, And but I'm excited to be on, on all of them. Fun. Yeah. Lots of needles going over there. Yes. As usual. What's on the easel? Okay. Lots to tell you about today. So we're in the middle of October. Lots of people are participating with... There's a lot of different drawing. Inktober. There's Inktober. And there is the one I'm playing around with is Graphitober. The list was hosted by Blackwing, Blackwing Pencils. If you don't know Blackwing Pencils, do yourself a favor and find one or buy a box. They are really buttery. And what (laughs) 
my favorite feature about them is that the ferrule that holds the eraser in place is sort of flattened and rectangular so the pencil doesn't roll off my drawing board. It's, it's an excellent design element, if you ask me. What I'm, what I'm really learning in Graphitober is to pay attention to values. The darkest darks, the lightest lights, and because I'm doing it all in graphite, it sort of takes the whole color element out, of course, and makes is making me really focus on value. So I am having a wonderful time drawing things. I haven't hit every single one, but the list is fun, and I have... I made my first reel or whatever you want to call it. That's been just, it's just a cool list and I'm glad to hop onto it. So are you just using one level of pencil? I remember we had this conversation, there were the different darks. Like, are you just using one or are you mixing? Faber-Castell, well, most companies do, most companies who make drawing pencils do the, the gambit from hardest hard through the HB through the be the softest pencils. Blackwing, I actually don't know if they do different hardnesses in their core, but I use, I think it's like a 602, which is a little softer than an HB. It's like a 2 or a 3B for... So the hardness is what makes it darker or lighter? Yeah. And it's just, you don't need to apply as much pressure as you Mm. might with a they're just different uses. You know, if you're doing, if you're going to paint on top, sometimes you want a little firmer of a pencil so that the line is finer and you can conceal it. I don't like those pencils because I feel like they leave a groove in the paper and that bothers me. But these are really smooth and buttery and there's minimal hand fatigue, which when you're drawing a whole thing in pencil... For me, my hand does get tired after, you know, an hour, hour and a half of drawing. So I don't notice that with the with the Blackwing or the softer variety of pencils. So that has been really fun. We did have a trip to visit our older son. And so I missed a couple days and I anticipate missing a few more, but the list is so good. So check it out. That's through Blackwing Pencils. And then I want to tell everybody that Guashvember is coming back. Of course it is. Yay! I I was talking to Daria the other day. Daria generally, well, for the past, this will be her fifth year posting the prompt list. And she has always done such a great job with the prompts. And this year I'm going to co-sponsor some door prizes on a few different days and then co-sponsor a prize at the end of the month. It's such a great daily exercise to be painting and really the the real value of gouache vember is community and it's important to us to reconnect with people because I'm not super regular on Instagram, but I feel like showing up daily for gouache vember is a good goal. Yeah, this is like your knit along. It is like my knit along. Yeah. So good. I can't wait. Then I have my series that I'm working on. And I hit kind of a roadblock. And I was a little scared because I thought I had found a vein to kind of mine through. And could I put any more metaphors into this? (laughs) Probably not. If people will recall, I've started a new series in gouache on paper. The working title was like creature collections or flea market 
something along those lines. And I decided that I was going to like really commit to this one composition that I loved from my sketchbook. So then I drew it and it was less rough and not as interesting. And then I redrew it again and painted like 50% of it and it was still off. And so that's when I was like, maybe this isn't working out. And I got a little frustrated. Then I sat down one day when I had nothing else. And this is something that I know I have said here before. If I am not doing the work daily, it's like exercise. It takes me so much longer to get back into it. We had had a little trip. I hadn't been drawing. So finally, I had a whole day and really spent the time to warm up. I did a bunch of the pencil sketches for Graphitober. I was in a great place. I loved the pencil drawings. And so I turned to the sketch that had been foiling me and I redrew the whole thing. This is the fifth or sixth time that I have reworked this. And what I was paying attention to was what did I really love and what was problematic. So I drew in the pieces that I really loved. And then I took the pieces that were problematic. And this is kind of a new approach for me. I have traced things in the past with tracing paper and moved them around. I guess people do this normally in Photoshop or Illustrator, but I'm way analog. I used that method and cut out little, like one of the illustrations has a couple fountain pens. And so I cut them out how I had them in one of the drawings. They were way too big. So then I cut them down and I got them placed just right so that I didn't, I just needed things to come together in a certain way. And I got everything, everything the way I wanted it. I have weird things in there, like this little weaving thing that one of my kids made a long time ago, and then a terrarium that's just out of my own brain, and then a dinosaur skull that I found at Cal Academy. And, and I wanted there to be, and this is the simplest, but in some ways when you're building a composition from your imagination and things don't fit, you don't really know how to fix them, mm-hmm. you know? And so I was trying to lay down this book in sort of perspective and getting it wrong, getting it wrong, getting it wrong. And it took me like an hour and a half to solve this puzzle of weird perspective, but cutting it out of paper and placing it and playing with it until I thought I had it right. And then I drew it and the first drawing was perfect. And then I was like, okay, I got to paint this. I cannot mess around with it anymore. So I am in the middle of painting this. It's not super big. It's like 12 by 12, but it's bigger than I normally do these kinds of paintings. And it has tons of detail, which I love to get lost in the detail. And it's like this own weird little world. I, I just... But if the other ones take this long, I have no idea. (laughs) Like, I have a vision for this whole thing, but it's taking longer than all this to say. Well, this is the first one, though. This is the first one. I have, I feel like I have worked out my process a little bit more. And so maybe the others will go quicker because the sketches are so fun and I just want to run with it. And then my other little piece of news is that I have licensed some art. Oh, Oh, is this what you were telling me about? I've told Monica a couple of my secrets and some of them haven't worked out and some of them have. And this one, I can't share all the details because I signed a contract. What? 
It's not the big, big one. Still. It's a little teeny one. Still. You're professional. Yeah. I mean, even more professional. You're already professional. Yeah, it feels pretty good. This has been a great season for the art stuff. so exciting. Thank you. It's not that big of a... Like, it's the tiniest of licensing, I think. It's licensing, lady. Yeah, I don't know. I had been a little resistant about licensing, but this company has made it really easy. And that that's plenty. That's plenty going on. That's on so the much. We're, we're just busy people this fall. We are this fall. Very exciting. Yeah. On the table, it's some good good items this, this, yeah, this couple of weeks. Yeah, you're eating well. We are. Tell me about it. So the first one, and I know you all are going to be so excited, tempeh with brock choy and tomato sambal. Okay. <laughs> I'm okay, going to so take one for the listening team and say, what is tempeh? I have never cooked with it, honestly. Yeah, it's not my favorite. I, <laughs> Based on this experience, it's a, I don't even know what it is. It's some sort of vegetarian protein thingy. It's pressed. You can fry it, which is what I did with it. I just wanted to try something different. It was more about the sauce that came with it. Actually, what it was is that I had bok choy that I needed to use. And I used my Eat Your Cookbooks app. And this was one of the recipes that came up. And it was in East. And I wanted to do something from East. So the sauce that went with it was amazing. And I think you could totally do it with chicken or pork or something like that. And it would be fantastic. So doesn't have to be with tempeh. I would probably do it with tofu in the future. The texture for me was just a little strange. It's more of an intense flavor than tofu. Oh. Yeah. So that part wasn't interesting. So I Googled it because I'm curious. No, that was probably smart. I should have done that. It contains more fiber and more protein than tofu and is apparently more digestible because of because it's more fermented, which is probably the taste factor you're yeah. referring to. And it produces a crispier crust if you yes. fry it. Because it's, well, it's firm, so it's not falling apart. Tofu is tricky. There's ways to do it. I tend to end up with tofu pieces when I try and fry it. The tempeh is not the important part. Okay. The important part is the saucy business, which is not really, a, it's not even a sauce. It's just like this chunky goodness that it was... It was delicious. So you start off with shallots, so many shallots. It was like four or five. And this was to serve two people. Did I say this was from East? It's from East, which just continues to be the cookbook that keeps on giving. So you chop up the shallots, kind of caramelize them. You throw a whole bunch of garlic in there, some lemongrass, calls for bird's eye chilies. (laughs) I do not do that. So I just (laughs) use some red chili flakes. Um, And then a couple of tomatoes that you chop up and you just let it all simmer and cook and you throw the tempeh back in there. You throw, you slice up your bok choy, throw it in there, put the lid on, let it steam a little bit and then eat it. And I think we had it with some rice and it was so good, just flavorful and delicious. And again, I think you could do it with any kind of protein and it would be That's magic to my ears. Yeah. So... (laughs) You can you can play around with that and let us know what you think. And and it wasn't it wasn't super spicy. I think you know if you had used the actual bird's eye chilies, it would probably be a little bit spicier. But mine was just super flavorful with just a little bit of heat. I mean, obviously you could throw some shrimp. Shrimp would yeah be great shrimp with would it. Be great with it. Um, I was gonna say hot sauce if your people wanted it hotter, uh, which no. mine usually do. But I was fine with it the way it was. And then I felt like I hadn't done a dessert in a while, and I wanted to do brownies. 
And I don't know why, but I did. So I went to 100 Cookies. And I another gift that keeps another giving. another cookbook that keeps on giving. I was gonna do maybe just the plain ones because I have a brownie recipe that I love. That is my standard go-to that I've been making for 20 years. It's from the Better Home and Gardens cookbook, which is just like classic. Classic has everything. But I figured I'd try something new. I do like the Better Homes and Gardens because it comes in an eight by eight pan. So that was. The only problem I have with the brownies that I ended up making is that it's 9 by 13. That is not a problem in my household. Well, it didn't used to be. And we will probably get through them. But since we are down a child, it is going to take us a little while. Although I will say I may have had two or three this morning already. Anyway, so I picked the Rocky Road brownies because I had, you know, I was going to do the plain ones. And then I just decided, no, I want something fancy. And these are delicious. So I mean, they're they're chocolate brownies, they have pecans, they have this chocolate chips, they have the marshmallows, you mix it into the batter, and then you put them on top and you bake it. And they just, I do need to check the temperature on my oven. Because once again, I had problems with how long it took to bake. Remember I had the yeah. the citrus ones were just not cooking and same thing. It was still coming out super gooey. And I don't think it was that I was sticking it through a chocolate chip that was melted. It definitely felt like I had wet batter for much longer than I should have. But they came out great. Yeah, I was going to say maybe it was the gluten-free thing, but the the problem before was the cream on the... Yeah, so I don't know. So I need to check that. So that was an issue that I had, but they ended up coming out just delicious. And there's so many of them. My husband this morning was like, why are there so many? You could freeze them. Can you? Yeah. Hmm. Maybe. If I make too many chocolate chip cookies, which is a rare, rare problem, I'll put some of them in the freezer. And then it's a real delight when you're like, oh, that's Mm. right. I have cookies in the freezer. That's true. Like totally baked. And then you just pull them out and let them thaw for a few minutes. And they're awesome. (laughs) You can freeze marshmallows? Sure. Why not? That's true. I guess you do that in ice cream. Yeah. Rocky Road ice cream. Yeah. Hmm. I'll have to think about that. But then it feels sad to put them away and not have them. You'll be happy when I you will remember be happy later. that yeah. you have Rocky Road brownies mm. in your freezer. They are. The chocolatey chocolateness of it is just fantastic. It was really delicious. I mean, there is an entire stick of butter in these, so <laughs> that always Holy helps. Day. Yeah. But it is a large, large pan. It so. is. So that was really delightful. And then also, we have not... We didn't do our weather update at the beginning, so I will do it here because we have not been having our traditional Bay Area October weather. The, the newspaper keeps running articles about why this is. There's some weird systems that are stuck on each other. So we've been having fog and cold. It's fine with me. They couldn't even have the Blue Angels, which is okay. I'm fine with that. But usually it's sunny and gorgeous and it has been foggy, so they couldn't... <laughs> the planes because no one would see them anyway so i've been making soup because it actually feels like fall yeah so i made a roasted apple and cauliflower last week and something else the week before that i don't have a set day for my soup like monday is pasta night i don't have a set day for the soup yet it's still sort of random but it is has been happening once a week so i went with yellow bean and wild rice soup from the rancho gordo vegetarian cookbook volume two and so these are yellow eye beans. And this was a little bit of a project, but oh my gosh, it was amazing. If I had done it exactly as it said, there would have been four pans involved. I got it down to three, which is a lot for soup, <laughs> but it was so good. 
My husband would not shut up about how much he enjoyed it last night. And he is usually very complimentary. He is always very complimentary about my cooking. But there is, I'm being nice, and there is, oh my gosh, this is actually really fantastic. And this was last night, was the really fantastic. And my child also completely unbidden was like, wow, this is really good. And had seconds. And there was no meat involved in this item. So really delicious. Or bread. Well, because you guys, are- I bought bread. Oh, it did need bread. And I, I bought some gluten free baguette for my husband and we had regular baguette and that was helpful. But there was there, I mean, there was no bread in the soup. Right. So. OK. And I think he had the soup and was like, this is good. And then got the bread involved anyway. So made the wild bean made the wild beans. <laughs> I made the beans. It's Wednesday. I actually Wednesday is usually bean night. And then you cook the wild rice separately with a bunch of extra water and a quartered onion and leek greens, the greens of the leek. That is something else I would change. So it makes this broth just amazing because then she has you pick out the onions and the leeks, which was a pain. So if I was going to do it in the future, I would either chop them smaller and just leave them or wrap them like in cheesecloth or something. So you could just pull the whole thing out. Yeah. Because separating it all from wild rice was just not working and then I tried to strain it and the rice isn't really quite small enough to go through so that part was a little bit annoying but the broth was amazing so then you saute the leek whites and garlic and carrot I left out the celery because I just I can't do celery and I love celery I could have done well like and my husband likes celery, so I and I don't mind it in soup so much as long as it's cooked enough but then you didn't need that much celery, so it was just going to sit in my You know, fridge. I don't like the texture of it when it's cooked down like that, but I will take it and like cut it matchsticks almost, you know, like mm-hmm. super skinny pieces and then tiny, tiny pieces so that it's like confetti. And then it just really blends in and sort of melts away. If it's a texture thing. It, no, it's just okay. all of it. Flavor? All of it. Because I love the flavor. Yeah, no, people, no. I'm crazy and, about celery. But then I went, well, then I could have given it to you. <laughs> The leftovers could go to you because it would just sit in my no, it's okay. fridge and be sad. It's just celery. And then I'd throw it out. Yeah, exactly. I mean, it wasn't that much. It was like two sticks or something. Two stalks. Stalks. <laughs> two sticks of celery. So you cook all that down a little bit. So then after that, you throw in the rice broth and the rice and the beans and some of the bean broth. And you let that simmer a little bit. And then in another pan... You cook the pancetta. (laughs) (laughs) That would be awesome. I did not know mushrooms. Oh, okay. Is that acceptable? It's a runner up. Yeah. (laughs) Delicious. And then you throw the mushrooms in, you serve it with a little bit of dill and sour cream or creme fraiche on top. Yeah. So much flavor. It was amazing. I did such a good job cooking the beans. They were perfection. It was just, it was a whole thing. And I'm super proud of myself and everyone loved it. Yeah. It's amazing what happens when you actually, you know, follow the recipe and take all the time. It didn't. It, it definitely needed a way to streamline the pulling out of the onion and the leek greens. Yeah, like that a, was annoying. A flavor, and sachet. yeah, like I mean, you could probably use canned beans. You could use just regular vegetable broth, and you know, not do that whole thing. Um, cooking the rice in the liquid and then using that liquid was really cool. It sounds if like you had it was the bean, worth it to do the... It was. And yeah. I did it all in one fell swoop. So like if you had cooked the beans the day before and had them left over, that would make it 
a little bit easier and less complicated. Does yeah. Rancho Gordo purvey rice? They do. They have mm. wild rice as well. Excellent. I had some sitting in my pantry that I was happy to use it because it doesn't use a ton of it. Yeah. Yeah. So that was it was delicious and, and delightful. And we'll see what, what other soups I find. Or maybe I won't. We'll see. It is fall. Yeah. How about you? Okay. So we were out of town. And we went to a farmer's market mm. and they had this, speaking of rice, they had a rice vendor up there and the Sacramento area has a lot of rice vendors. And so I was curious and this vendor had both their blonde and brown rice in a rice cooker so you could sample it, which yeah, that's smart. is awesome. The brown rice was delicious. The blonde rice was out of this world. It was so good. So this is the Chico Rice Company. We bought a 15-pound bag because oh, wow. I was like, um, yeah, that's awesome rice. And we are a rice household, so it made sense. And then I had a, I also had a 16-year-old right there who could take it back to the car. I mean, it was like <laughs> everything works. It was meant to be. Yeah. So this week... We tried a couple different donburi recipes, which is like a rice bowl type thing that would let the rice shine. So I did a chicken teriyaki one from Tuesday nights, the Christopher Kimball. Um, I followed this recipe like right down the line. Um, the chicken was awesome. We really loved it. We had tons of leftovers. And our chief complaint was that it did not have enough vegetables. It just had, wow. I did a Persian cucumber and some green onion on top. And we we just needed more vegetable in it. So the next night, I guess, with the leftover rice, and then I had to make some more because it wasn't quite enough for the three of us, I did a vegetable Donbury that I found on the internet. And this one had broccolini and mushrooms and I'm forgetting, and more green onion and cilantro, and oh my gosh, so good with a scrambled egg mixed into it. Holy cow, this one was so good. It had mirin and a little bit of soy sauce. I added some sake because the Tuesday nights one calls for a little sake in with it. Um, I really loved the vegetable one over the chicken one, but the merging of the two is the real sweet spot here. All in all, I got some new rice out of it. I found a new vegetable donburi that I will totally make again. And then I used the last of the rice last night to like do a stir fry. We're riced out. We did take a break though. I made tacos a couple nights ago from Half-Baked Harvest and I, all right, I'm committing to you know, I don't own any of her cookbooks. I have taken them out of the library, loved them, and then I just use her internet site all the time. And I feel like I'm a grown person and I want the cookbook on my counter. So I'm committing to buying one of these cookbooks. I think my hesitation has always been the flavor is just a little bit off. I always feel like I need to tweak something just a little bit. And it's very heavy on cheese, but that's, I mean... I can control that. <laughs> well, this taco recipe called for chipotle chili powder. This is a user error, by the way. My favorite kind of episode yeah. is when I mess up. So I had chipotle powder in my little spice thing, 
but it was just in like a, you know, those tins that I use. Mm-hmm. So I wasn't really sure if it was chipotle chili powder or if it was chipotle chipotle, like full strength or what. The recipe called for like two tablespoons or two teaspoons. I did just under one. Oh my gosh. It was so over seasoned. Really? With the Chipotle. It was oh. so I mean, not critically over seasoned, not inedible. But I had my husband in the kitchen and I was like, what am I gonna do? This is too spicy for me to eat. And he jokingly was like, throw a can of pineapple in there. You know what? Mm. Awesome. <laughs> Nice. So my guy gets credit for saving dinner, saving taco dinner, and they were really good. I also made the lime crema, Mm -hmm. cilantro lime crema that goes with it. And we just had a simple taco dinner. It was a break from the rice, basically. But this is totally on me, by the way. Like sometimes I have to tweak her flavors, but this one I have to own because I have no idea. Although two teaspoons of... Like, I definitely halved what the spice should have been, and it was still too, too much. Interesting. Yeah, a teaspoon doesn't sound like it should be. Well, and I just think that maybe I don't know my Chipotle stuff in general, so I will be more careful. Lesson learned. However, pineapple, again, saves the day. Yeah. Yeah. The wonder. Wonder citrus. Totally. (laughs) But that's it. That's all that's been going on because we had a little trip and we've got a little trip coming. So busy, busy. Yeah. But I'm pretty happy with the uh, bag of Chico rice that's in my pantry. Nice. Yeah. Did you get just a blonde? Yes. And I anticipate tasking my child with going to that farmer's market. Oh, yeah. Now and again. Yeah. Yeah. Excellent. All right. On the nightstand, I've had a delightful two weeks of reading. It has been good. And yeah, only four books. I know. I know. There have been a lot of words in these books. <laughs> Lots of words. Okay, so first, The Golden Enclaves by Naomi Novik, which is the final book in the Scholomance trilogy. I have been waiting for it to come out, but she did not decide to write an th- extra book, and so it's only been a year. But whew, she stuck the landing. It was just a delight. So this is the story of Galadriel Higgins. She's a wizard. She's been in high school, in the wizard high school, and has had adventures in the first two books. She has now graduated slash escaped from the school, and all she wants to do is recover and eat good food and hang out with her mom. However, a bad, evil wizard is attacking the wizard cities, which are called enclaves, and... She's the only person that can save the world. So off she goes. There are twists and turns and friendship and love and surprises and family. And it's just, it's great. I love this whole series. It was super fun. I feel like I've seen that it's young adult, I guess, because they're in high school. Maybe that's just in my head, but it definitely doesn't, it doesn't have that angstiness. It doesn't have that, the writing feels pretty sophisticated, but not difficult in any way but there's a lot of good themes it's just it's been a super fun super fun series of books and i mean i've enjoyed her other books as well her single books that aren't part of 
part of a series. So I'm excited to see what she's going to do next. And then a little bit of nonfiction, The White Ship, Conquest, Anarchy, and the Wrecking of Henry I's Dream by Charles Spencer. This has been on my to be read for a little while because I was at the dinner where he came up with this idea for the book. So I've been wanting to read it. Yeah, super fun. Anyway, so... I like the hair flip there. <laughs> Just hang out with these people and inspire them. No, that's not at all true. But I was at the dinner where he came up with the idea for it. Okay, so I'm trying to figure out, do a little brief history lesson. Okay, so oh, hence, yes, please. <laughs> without, I could talk about this for a very long time. This is like one of my, my other favorite periods of, of English history. Okay, so Henry I, November 1120. Okay, don't ask me any questions about this because... Oh, no. I don't no, know anything. No, I don't expect it anybody. This is not a super well-known... Uh, this is not the big, exciting part of English history. Um, okay, so it's November 1120. Henry I has been king for about 20 years. He is very excited. He's the Duke of Normandy and the King of England. He just signed a peace treaty with the King of France. So after years, everything should be settled down. He had to fight with his brother for a while. Things are good now. He's going to sail for home. His son is with him. He's been training him to be his heir. It's going great. About how old is he? Like four? The kid? No, the, the king. The king. Oh, he's in his early 50s at this point. The son is 17. He's doing great. Henry's going to sail for home. He and his people get on the ship. They sail off. The prince and his friends and a bunch of the counselors decide they're going to hang out for a little while. They do some drinking. The ship's crew does some drinking with them. They sail off and hit a rock and the boat sinks and everybody dies except for one baker from Rouen who was there to collect some money, which I don't think he's going to get now. Very sad. It is tragic. Like, all of the nobility of England loses someone. Henry loses a couple of his really important counselors that have been with him for years. It is a big deal. No one wants to tell him. Like, they finally make some kid go in and <laughs> tell him because they figure he won't hurt the kid. It's really bad. And so now he doesn't have an heir. All he has is a daughter. Ah, uh, the... <laughs> historical crisis of a daughter yep this may sound familiar to those of you who are watching house of the dragon and this is actually what it is based on (sighs) so tiresome well no to be fair henry much like viserys says okay my daughter will be the queen he does immediately get remarried and tries to have a son doesn't work so but he is continues to say his daughter is going to be his heir it does not work out He makes all of his counselors swear. The second he dies, his nephew, his favorite nephew, hops on a boat, goes back to England, grabs the treasury, grabs a bishop, has himself crowned, and everyone says, meh, seems fair. So the next 20 years are spent in war. It is called the anarchy. It is a huge mess. And it all eventually ends when the daughter's son comes to power. And everyone's like, oh, yeah, this is this is this is good. And he is like one of the best kings ever. I mean, as far as kings are fantastic. So this book is based all around the sinking. You get Henry's history and like how he got to be king, which he was the third son. He was not supposed to inherit anything when his father died. He just got a bunch of cash. (laughs) He spent the next several years like ping-ponging back and forth, trying to get his brothers to support him. It didn't work. And then what happens after the son dies and how he tried to make sure that there was a stable succession. So I'm familiar with this story, but there was a lot more detail, things that I didn't know, the back and forth between England and Normandy. So it was really interesting. It was well-written. It had pictures. I always like pictures. If you do like history, this was a fun one. Uh, Painted portraits? Is that what you're... 
Yeah, I mean, like they had the Bayou Tapestry in there and, yeah, you know, other portraits of artifacts, things from, um, you know, illuminated manuscripts and yeah, so. Slightly vintage. A little bit. This was, this was interesting, well-written. Excellent. Good little historic. Thank you. Yeah. And then this is a really long title, Babel or the Necessity of Violence, an Arcane History of the Oxford Translators Revolution by R.F. Kwong. So this is a new book by a new to me author, although she has a trilogy that has been out for a while that has been on my, ooh, I really should read that list. So I was excited to see this book come out because it's a, I think it's a one-off and it was getting a bunch of press and I heard a lot of really good things and it was amazing. So she, aside from being an author with four books out now, also has two master's degrees, one from Oxford, one from Cambridge, and she's working on her PhD from Yale. All of it in like Chinese studies and language. So her writing is is dense and amazing and beautiful and intelligent. And there's just so much going on in there. You can't skim. You have to read all the words and just get lost and just (laughs) deep dive into it. And it's fantastic. So it is the story of Robin Swift, who in the early 1800s, oh, this is fiction. (laughs) So fiction and a little bit of fantasy, just to, you could, you could almost pull the fantasy episode elements out of it and it would still make sense so very minor um so anyway robin swift 1820s is orphaned in canton and professor lovell sweeps in picks him up and takes him back to england to start studying languages and he's gonna go study at the royal institute of translation at oxford where the professor is a professor so he studies greek and roman and roman (laughs) latin and keeps working on his Cantonese, and he knows a little bit of Mandarin as well. So the Translation Institute is where, obviously, England is developing its empire at this point. They need translators to help spread the empire. And also, this is where the fantasy part comes in. They harness the inherent magic in silver. And if you write words and translations on the silver, it makes fantastic things happen in kind of the space between the differences in the words. Mm. So like a root word, but there's going to be slight differences in what it means. That's where the magic happens. So it reminded me of the one about the Oxford English Dictionary and how whose words get saved and used. And this is very similar. You have to have people where the words are inherent in them, where they, you know, they live in their, their space. So you can't like, that's why you can't use a made-up language on this thing. So it has to be someone where the, the words are part of them, which is why they, they keep bringing in these foreign students, bringing in kidnapping these foreign students and, and training them. So it, it ends up going to, uh, you know, a pretty intense place on, on the empire and how they're treating the colonies. And it gets the beginning of the Opium Wars. And it was just, it was just a fantastic book. The relationships between all the Robin and his his fellow students and him learning about the empire and, and coming to terms with things and deciding, you know, what what he wants to do and how this is all all working for him. So it was a really it was again, I don't know, I keep saying it. It was just a fantastic book. It was it was a big book, lots of words, but just everyone was was a worthwhile 
worthwhile to read. So wow, really like that one. And then a little bit lighter, The Christie Affair by Nina de Gremont. So this was historical fiction based on when Agatha Christie disappeared for 10 days. Do you know about this? Yes. Okay. So and it's funny, NPR just replayed a interview about this, which was kind of interesting. So the mystery writer Agatha Christie in 1926, she has about five or six books out at this point. So she's decently famous, but not a household name. And she disappears for like 10 days in December and no one can find her. They find her car abandoned with her suitcase and they eventually find her. She lived in the South of England. They find her in Yorkshire like a spa. And she never said what happened. Like she claimed she couldn't remember. And it's still kind of a mystery as to like how she got there and what happened. So this story is. And there was some tumult in her personal life at that time. too. Lady just needed a break. She did. (laughs) She did. But so the story is based around those 10 days and what happened. And it was really interesting because it is told from the perspective of the husband's mistress. Oh dear. Which at the beginning and for a little bit at the you know for a little bit into the start of the book I was like oh, this is just annoying I don't like her and she does an amazing job and at the end of the book you're like wow that was amazing there's all this stuff going on there's a little bit of actual mystery I mean there's the mystery of her disappearance but we are reading it so we know what has happened there's some other mysteries going on social class structure, women's rights, all these things are mixed into this. And it ended up being a really good book. So I enjoyed it a lot. Wow. Yeah, that was a fun one. Um, Fun. Yeah. And I am in the middle of the marriage portrait. So I will talk about that (gasps) next time, which, oh my gosh, so good. Right? Yeah. Fantastic. Okay. Sorry. That was a lot of chatting for only four books. No worries. What do you got? I got three, but they'll be pretty quick because I read... I listened to Red Bones by Anne Cleves, which is... Which number? Three. Okay, yeah. So I've... You're almost there. I'm almost to the birder one, which is my goal. And I listened to this while I was working on my crazy series, Mm -hmm. redrawing this piece that I'm working on several times. It's been a minute since we talked about the Shetland Mysteries. This one is still, we're still at, Inspector Perez is still at the helm, and we have a set of archaeological students, archaeology students, who are working on a dig, and they find some things, which is unusual. (laughs) Most, I don't know, sometimes they do a lot of digging and they don't find much, but this one they find stuff, and it's a big deal. And meanwhile, there is some multi-generational mysterious things happening. I don't want to spoil it for anyone. But what I really loved about this book in the series was the fog. I felt like the fog was more palpable in this one than it had been in the others. And it is Shetland after all. The fog plays a big role in cloaking, in the cloaking of the whodunit. And I think that lent to the atmosphere of the book. These are very digestible I mean, I had half an ear to it while I was painting, and I was actually surprised a little bit by the ending, but maybe I had missed a clue or two along the way because I was busy. Anyway, Red Bones by Anne Cleves. Then I read The Manning Tree Witches by A.K. Blakemore. This takes place in 1643 England, 
I actually had to remind myself several times that we were in England because it felt really Salem, Massachusetts mm. to me at points. Have you read this? Mm-mm. And then keeping with your witchy books. I'm ke- yeah, tis the season. So this book is about oh, uh, this is based in true witchy facts, like witch season drama. It's based on actual... Actual events, actual trials, where this guy had appointed himself Witchfinder General. Yeah. That's a... Isn't that a joyless title? And he went after this community in Manning Tree, and they were widowed or single women, and the, the daughter of one of them was Rebecca West, and she is our chief narrator throughout this season where the Witchfinder General is trying these women for witchcraft. And it is just as infuriating as you think it would be to read about these women who are making tea and having herb gardens be persecuted for witchcraft, you know, or for like having a cat that misbehaves. I I just, it confounds me. (laughs) Because cats are easy to control. Right. I, I just... I don't know why I enjoy reading these books because it just infuriates me in a way. The language, though, the written prose of this book is really extraordinary. She has captured kind of a cadence and dialect of the time that I thought was really believable and kind of intoxicating. You just get lost in this time period and... Even though I was super frustrated with this whole witch hunt, I really loved this book. And then Manning Tree came up in another book that I was reading. So there was this weird crossover, you know, when that happens. I never even heard of Manning Tree. And then I was watching, I know where else I saw it. I was watching the portrait painter show or the landscape painter of the year show that is done through BBC. One of the winners went and painted in Manning Tree. And it's like beautiful and watery and spooky and... (laughs) Anyway, it's all coming together. The real gem of the past two weeks was March by Geraldine Brooks. Oh, that's an old one, right? Uh Uh-huh. It's a 2006 Pulitzer Prize winner. It has been on my bookshelf since probably 2007 because I have it in paperback. I love Geraldine Brooks, and I have picked this book up three or four times, and I couldn't remember why I kept putting it down. And this time, it just, it hit right. So this book is based on, this is a a trajectory from Little Women, the Louisa May Alcott novel. And it is told from the perspective, mostly from the perspective of the father from Little Women, Mr. March, or Reverend March. I think he was a chaplain. Geraldine Brooks really based it on paperwork, surviving paperwork from Louisa May Alcott's father, who was a chaplain in and around Concord and was, you know, elbow to elbow with Thoreau and Emerson and just totally hung with the right characters of that time. This is a story of the Civil War and the marches and the Alcotts, for that matter, were staunch abolitionists. And they were really trying to fight for the cause. And so in this book, there is hints of that they were part of the Underground Railroad. I don't know if that was true for the Alcots or not. And it also really delves into Mr. March's time as a chaplain in the 
army fighting against the South. And they're not, she's not super clear about what year of the Civil War this is happening. And she says in the end that she's trying to kind of just fit it together to make Mm -hmm. it work. His interactions with enslaved people is stunning, very stunning to read and very difficult. And now I know why I had a hard time getting into it before, because it's pretty disturbing and hard content. And he is trying to be this kind of perfect human and there's no such thing, right? Any of us. And one of the delightful things was that at some point, Geraldine Brooks was reading Little Women and her mother said something to her like, nobody is as perfect as that marmy. Just take it with a green grain of salt. And that stuck with her. And so she has given the March parents some real depth and humanity that now I'm really, I usually reread Little Women at Christmas time. It's like the one book that I reread. And I think it's going to totally color how I go forward with Little Women. Not every year, but you know, every few years I reread that. So anyway, I felt like the other gem of this was this story of their marriage, the imperfect marriage that they had. And I'm so sorry that it took me this long to find my way back to it, but I'm certainly glad that I did. It was awesome. Cool. That's it. Yeah. So wow, we were we were pretty busy on, on all fronts this past two weeks, starting off the next next 100. Yes. In a good way. So until next time, make sure to do something you love every day. Thanks, everyone. Bye. Show notes can be found at craftcookreadrepeat.podbean.com. You can find us on Instagram as craftcookreadrepeat or courtneysf at C-O-R-T-N-E-Y-S-F. On Ravelry, I'm Magdon, M-A-G-D-O-N. And if you have any questions or comments, email us at craftcookreadrepeat at gmail.com. Thanks for listening.